Hello, neighbor. You are listening to the New Garden Church podcast, and we are so glad you're here. Our church meets at 10 a.m. at DuPont Tyler Middle School in Hermitage, Tennessee. You can join us in person, or you can catch our gatherings after the fact on our YouTube channel. We would love to hear from you. We hope that you enjoy what you hear today and check back in with us again soon. So as we started this month, I was really intent on doing something with some continuity so that I didn't just get on a soapbox and stand for 30 minutes every morning and talk about stuff that I felt was important. So we, for the past three weeks, we talked through the uh, first three books of the, of the of Psalms, and now we're going to be in Psalm 4. So we kind of get there this morning. I just want to kind of walk us through how we got here so we have some continuity to understand that we're kind of building one on top of the other as we get to from one place to the next. We started with Psalm 1, and we talked about how it was the foundation for the whole book, foundation of the book of Psalms, and in that it, it taught or it spoke to the reality of, okay, if we want to be people of God, we've got to pick where we're going to have our life. We're going to have to pick where, we have to choose where we want to root ourselves, where we want to plant ourselves, and we're going to have to pick what we want to be about in life. And, and the, the psalmist there in Psalm 1, we're not given the author, but the psalmist there talks about how those that choose to walk with God are so much better off than those who choose to walk with the world, and, and that the image that's given to us is like a tree that's replanted in Eden, like a tree that's planted by the waters, that the fresh waters, the life-giving waters of Eden, and how that informs and shapes our lives and makes us into who, and this is the key, God created us to be. Not who we want to be or not who we think we ought to be, but who God created us to be because God created all of us with a purpose. Everybody is unique. Everybody is, is built in a certain way and God gave every, all of us talents and abilities and he expects us to live into a purpose that he's created for us part of, to be part of his story. And that's the key, right? That's the part that, that we, we struggle sometimes, wanting to be part of his story versus being part of the world's story or our own story. And so Psalm 1 was about deciding where we walk. And then Psalm 2 was about, okay, those who plant themselves with God find our refuge in God. We talked about how fear and worry are the currency of the world, right? Fear and worry are what drive everything in our world, politics, sales, everything is driven by fear because if... if we can be made to fear something enough. We'll do something to protect ourselves. We'll do almost anything to protect ourselves from that. And so we're driven from one side of, of safety to another side of, of fear. So if we decide we're going to plant ourselves with God and God is going to be the way we're going to live our lives or what God designed us for, then we're also going to find our refuge in God. And we're not going to allow those, I don't want to call them silly because it's not, but we, we allow the fears of the world and the way of the world to impacts in such a way that draws us from the path that God has, has designed us to be, where God is, is taking us to, and from what God offers, which is so much more than what the world offers. And I think that that exchange that we do is, is it doesn't make any sense. And we're going to talk about that again this morning, how we exchange what God offers for what the world offers and why we're never satisfied in the midst of that. And then last week in Psalm 3, we talked about how when we choose to place our life with God and how we find our refuge in God, that then God is a shield about us. 
And not only that, but God's a shield about us, and God is, is, is our glory. God is our focus of life, and God is the one that when we're down and when we're downtrodden, and when we're, we think that nothing can get any better, we think that everything is so bad, God is the one who reaches down and says, no, it's not that bad. No, he's the one who lifts our head. And so as we kind of finish this little mini sermon series here from, from Psalms, we're going to finish in Psalm 4 where he talks about blessed are those who do all these things and find all these things because this brings us to a place where God offers us joy and God offers us peace. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about circumstance because like a couple weeks ago when I talked about fear and worry, I wanted to be careful and not create this idea that there's something wrong with us if we have fear and worry. There's something wrong with us if, if we can't seem to detach ourselves from the world and what the world is, is leading us to. I don't want to leave that impression this morning. So I want to talk about a couple of things that's happened in my life in the past couple of weeks just to, and some people in here have tracked along with me. As I approach this lesson on Thursday to write it, my process is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I read a lot. I read the text, I send time in prayer, and then on Thursday I sit down and I write my sermons. On Thursday, before I started writing my sermon, I, I learned that a friend of mine lost his wife in an accident last week. His wife's 50 years old. I have a son who is in college age. Tragic. When I came across it and I learned about it and, and talked about it, and tragic events, right? Circumstances beyond what I can fathom or even want to even consider or think of them. A few weeks ago, one of my friends, a guy that leads worship at, at Central Pike, where I was at for 14 years, a guy I considered to be a good friend, was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. He's 50 years old. He's got kids that, again, that are like college age. And he's not in a good place health-wise right now. And so as I, as I sit down and I, and, I, and I move towards the text, and I, I start to push all my thoughts and everything through the filters of, of what I'm trying to do, how do we talk about peace and how do we talk about joy in the midst of life? In the midst of circumstances that rage against us and go against us all around us. And my, I tell you, my knee-jerk reaction is that I want to jump to the academic end of the spectrum and I want to talk about words and I want to define words and I want to root them out and I want to lay it, okay, well, this is joy and this is happiness and this is this. And, but the reality is, and this is where we... We just kind of have to live in some stuff. The reality is, life is not like a 30-minute sitcom, is it? It's not like a 60-minute drama on TV. It's not even like a two-hour movie where, at the end, everything gets resolved. The hero wins the day. Everything gets brought back together, and everyone goes home happy and satisfied. That's not life. Life is messy. Life is filled with ambiguity. Life is filled with tension. And the reality of that is because we, we live in a broken world. We are, to a very real extent, we're the recipient of decisions that were made a long time ago. That doesn't mean we're slaves to them. But we live in a reality that was created well before us. And so we live in this broken world, and we try and figure out how to navigate this broken world when things like cancer hit us in the face, or when things like car accidents hit us in the face. And I think it's helpful, and I think it's healthy for, for us to sometimes live in the tension of life. 
live in the tension of life that doesn't bring easy answers, to live in the tension of life where we can't just say, oh, well, this happened for this reason, or that happened for that reason, and because of this and because of that. You know, sometimes there's no answers, and we just have to live with it. And that's a good thing because that causes us to rely on God a whole lot more. Because when the answers can't easily be rooted out, we have nothing to do but fall back on our faith and say, God, I really don't understand what's going on here, but I'm going to trust you in the process. Last week, we talked about David and the situation in life that kind of surrounded Psalm 3. And David was, he was living in a mess of his own creation, right? He was living in a mess that he made, but in the midst of that, he still found peace in that shield that was around him. Now, I, I want to be careful and say, in no way do I think a car accident or cancer is a blessing from God. I don't think those families it was created by or they deserved it or anything else. And you won't ever hear me say to somebody who is hurting or somebody who's experienced great loss that it's part of God's great plan because I don't believe that. And I don't think those words are helpful to people who are hurting This is a freebie. When you go talk to somebody who's hurting and you don't know what to say, don't say anything. Yeah. Tell them you love them. Tell you to tell them you're here for them, and then sit quietly with them. Because silence is important and silence is needed much more than us giving platitudes that aren't helpful. And one of those platitudes is that's part of God's plan. You don't know that, don't say. I think they had the right, right idea in their Bible times of lamenting, where they would tear their clothes and they would sit with sackcloth and ashes and they would just grieve the moments. And we often, we often don't give space to grief in our culture. We rush through the, the funeral process. We rush through the surgery process. We rush through everything. And there's almost this unwritten expectation that once we get through all that stuff and all that stuff is done, that... Everybody ought to be good now. Let's get on with life. Let's act like everything is great and let's move forward. But guess what? Sometimes life is horrible. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes life is unfair. But we serve a God who understands. We serve a God who empathizes. And we serve a God who is present to us. And whether we realize it in that moment, and it's often it's a subconscious understanding that God is with us in those moments. And at the same time, God will be there. He'll help us move to the other side of the spectrum when we're ready. And there's definite ends to the spectrum, right, of joy and peace and pain and suffering and all the stuff that's going on. And David, like us, was living across the spectrum where on one end he was running from his life, from his son, and on the other end he was worried about petty and silly things that was causing him to stay up at night. And so let's take a minute to step back from the deep end because that was some really deep and some really serious stuff. And let's talk more about day-to-day -day stuff that interacts with, intersects with us, almost all of us, on a daily basis. Because we come to Psalm 4 and we come to really a conversation between David and God and then David and those in the world around him. And it's it's one-sided because it's just David talking, but there's a lot happening here that we, that we need to hear and we need to understand as we walk through life. 
And so in verse 1, David says, Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Now, given your and my really rudimentary understanding of prayer, because we may think we have a good grasp on it, but really we, I'm not sure we have even a small grasp on it, but given our understanding of prayer, is God ever not listening? God, it's double negative, God is never not listening. God is always listening. So why is it there at times, and we're not much unlike David, right? Why is it at times <coughs> that we think God isn't listening? Is, do we, sometimes do we think we're not important enough to be heard? Because some of us can grow up in such harsh religious circles that we can come to this understanding in our own minds that we're not worthy of God, even not even approaching God with our prayers, and God's not going to listen to us. Are we too bad? Are we too evil that God's not going to hear? Is, and here's a funny one. Is God too busy? There's that story in the Old Testament where there's the, the prophets, and, and I should have looked this up. It just came out. There's a prophet, and he's, he's fighting against the prophets of Baal, and, they're like, and he's praying, and they're like, hey, pray a little louder. Maybe your God's asleep. See, but the reality is we tend to revert to an eight-year-old when we don't get our way, right? And we yell and we scream and we holler and we think, God's not listening. Give me what I want. And there's like, answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. And again, he's trying to placate God. My righteous God, give relief to me. Like a child trying to manipulate a situation, swooning on the couch, have mercy on me in my really bad time. And so he continues and he says, how long will you... Will you will turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? You see, David turns his anger and frustration from God to the people that are around him. And that, that, that phrase right there, he will turn my glory, takes us back to Psalm 3 where David talks about you are a shield about me. You are my glory. You are the one that is my focus in life. And so he's looking around the people around him who I, I would guess he thinks you ought to be tracking like I'm tracking. You ought to be serving God like I'm. You ought to understand this more than I do. How is it that my focus is on God and you guys aren't getting it? How long will you turn my focus on God into shame? And you see, David juxtaposes that a life is focused on God with a life is focused on the world. And you see, that's the hallmark of an unpeaceful life. That's the hallmark of an unjoyful life. Uh, an unjoyful life is seeking fulfillment separated from God or seeking fulfillment apart from God. Because that becomes the heart of the entire discussion. What we set our eyes on, what we focus on, becomes the most important thing to us. And when we focus our attention out there, we start pursuing things that we either cannot attain or that if we get them, we can't keep them. And we turn our backs on things like, things like joy and peace that God freely offers. And instead we want power. And instead we want control. And instead we want money. And instead we want prestige and respect. And all of these things, when they become out of reach, 
When we lose them, we lose the hope, we lose the peace, we lose the joy that God is offering. And I think the reality of the discussion is that we not only have to give those things up, we have to give up our desire for those things. Because it's easy for us to divest ourselves of stuff, right? But it's not easy for us to divest ourselves of the want for stuff. And so he continues the tirade against the people around him. And he says, tremble, and in your anger do not sin. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. So he's talking to those that he thinks are opposed to God. He says, all this out here that you think is important, all this out here that you think you really want, all that stuff's going to come crashing down. Life is going to hit you. Circumstances are going to hit you. And when life hits you, what are you going to do? Because our, our immediate reaction is that we are going to blame who? We're going to blame God. Now, the NIV, in your anger, is not in the text. It's in the footnote. That means that it was in some commentaries, in some manuscripts, and not in, not in other ones. And so I think it really works here because David's saying, look, once you figure it all out, don't get angry with God. Because when you get angry with God, you're going to sin. Don't look for somebody else to blame when you get on a path that you shouldn't have been on and when you end up in a really bad place because of that path that you chose. If we choose to plant ourselves anywhere but with God in Eden, we shouldn't be surprised when we end up in a bad place. Eugene Peterson, the message, he says, let your heart do the talking there in that section where it says, search your hearts and be silent. Let your heart do the talking, not your brain. And I think that's a, a powerful image of the struggle that exists in our own lives. Between the intelligence and the heart, if you will, and how we struggle with that in our own lives and, and where we try and rationalize. Earlier I talked about, you know, I want to rationalize stuff out so that I don't have to feel it. I think that's what we do. We try and rationalize stuff out so we don't actually have to feel it. David turns back to God in 6 and 7 and he says, Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? But the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. And so David turns back and he's wrestling with, okay, God, what is it going to look like for prosperity to be a part of my life? For the world, in that day and time, it was grain. I mean, why the harvest time is when all the stuff came in and they get all the stuff and they had all these riches. They're like, look at this, look at this stuff. God is great, God is good, God has given me all this stuff. New car, new house, I've got status, I've got power. And the plea from David is one that we should live in and we should try and relish in our own lives. God, fill my heart with joy. We talked about several times the past week, there's nothing wrong with verbalizing what we need or what we want. We verbalize when we need to get rid of something. Let's verbalize when we want something. Lord, I'm having a hard time with this. Can you fill me with joy so that I can 
everyone's. Take away my desire for what the world is offering and let my joy be in you, my Lord. Replace the wants of the world with the joy that only God can supply. Bless us in ways that only God can bless us. Ask for those, ask for those things. Treat your prayer life like it is real. Don't just say platitudes. Interact. Because does God already know your heart? And the whole church said, yes, God already knows your heart. So David says in 8 and 9, he says, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. See, once we figure out how to handle all that exterior noise that's out there in the world, peace becomes a much more attainable goal. Because the drone of more, more, more will be loud and overwhelming if you let it be. And it will rob us of peace because we can never get what? We can never get more. We can never get enough. And it's, I think it's amazing how little we will exchange or trade or how easily we will exchange the peace of God for the junk of the world. That one day somebody's got to come along and go away and get rid of. And for David's contemporaries, it was grain and new wine which brought them power and prestige and money and all that stuff. And it would be a great calamity whenever there was a famine or bad things happened because that's where their life was focused. And so what is it for you and I? What is the thing, or what are the things that you are allowing to rob you of joy and peace. Because what we do is we convince ourselves that we're really good, right? We're really good at convincing ourselves. We convince ourselves that if we can just attain X, then I'll be happy. See, if you're climbing the corporate ladder, if you're climbing any ladder at all, there's always a rung higher and there's always, there's always somebody where? Ahead of you. Even if you own your own business. You don't have to look very far to see somebody who's doing better than you're doing. And you know what you can do? You can sit back and you say, oh, if I could just get to that amount of sales per month, I would be happy. And the list is going to change from person to person. But the root is the same. Power, control, the love of money, prestige. And I think we become so invested in the world that we are really blinded to how negative that impacts our lives. I think we have bought so deeply into the reality that the world wants us to believe that we ignore how 
negatively impacted our families are, our homes are, our marriages are, whenever we choose to run after all the stuff that God says, look, I will give you joy and I will give you peace. We're like, no, I'm going to get it over here. I look at my, this is one of those lessons I think God teaches me every day. I look at my kids and I'm like, hey, if you will just go clean your room, you can have your kid. If you'll just go take a shower, like I got boys, right? And we're in a, we're in a phase where showers are hard. I'm going to tell you, it's stinking my ass. If you'll just if you'll just do your homework for the next 20 minutes, we can get it done, and you don't got to worry about it for the next day. And instead, we take an hour and a half of oh, I don't want to do that. Let me do it my way. And you know what? There are, little, there are many versions of us. And they teach us what we act like whenever we have to do stuff we don't want to do. You know, I can always find something to do other than what I need to do. <laughs> so what is it? Today, what is it? What do you need to release? What has got your hand inside that jar that you won't let go of and that you'll die holding on to? Rather than let God bring you joy and let God bring you peace. And that's only a question that you can answer in your own life. But I guarantee, if you'll do the work, the hard work of spiritual formation, if we can grasp that life is about transformation, not just getting our ticket punched and getting on the train to heaven, that the life of God is about changing who we are, that life, I believe this because I'm trying to live in this myself, that life will be more meaningful, life will be more peaceful, life will be more joyful, life will be more fulfilling if we'll let go of some stuff. And we'll let God have some stuff. And you don't have to do that alone. I don't want to ever stand up here and say, hey, you got to do this and you got to do that. Next Sunday we get back, you give me a report on how, you, how well you did this. If you need somebody to walk with you, find somebody in your life that you love and respect and that will be truthful and honest and love you back and let them walk with you. Ask them to pray with you. Let's be helpful of each other and let's walk through life together. That's what church is about. It's a community of faith. It is brothers and sisters in Christ coming together so that we can walk through this life together and be a faithful witness of what God has called us to. I don't think we will upend this community, but I think we can do a lot of good in this community if they just see a group of people that are filled with joy and peace instead of anger and frustration and stress and anxiety. You look at around, you look at the landscape of our culture right now, that's what our culture needs to see. They need to see people that in the midst of a lot of unknowns, our hope isn't in this. Our hope is in that. And that is bringing us joy to peace. I think there's another side to this too. I think that we are. The world needs to see us bringing joy and peace. 
but we're really quick to rob the world of joy and peace. Noah is playing baseball. He really he enjoys baseball. Noah's eight. We sat at a game yesterday, and I'm part of the problem. And I had a lot. I had a, yesterday I spent a lot of time in, inside my own head, just trying to work on my own heart in this. Parents do a really bad job of interacting with kids at sports events. I watched a bunch of eight, eight-year-olds make some mistakes on the field yesterday, and I'm glad I wasn't coach. And one thing I had to keep telling myself all day yesterday was, they're eight years old. They're eight years old. They're eight years old. So what if the shortstop caught the ball and he could have tossed it two feet and we could have ended the inning? The kid's eight years old. It's okay. You know who's going to play pro baseball out of that group of 26 kids who were there? Odds are, none of them. There were probably 500 kids playing ball yesterday at that ball in that ballpark in Mount Julia. You know who's going to play baseball? Help will play, will play pro baseball or play, play pro softball? The odds are zero. You'd have to get together 20 years worth of kids in that park, and one of them might play pro sports. One of the things I've always told my boys, and I think I'm telling myself that now, you can play as long as you're trying your hardest and you're having fun. And when you, when you stop doing either of those two things, we're going to stop playing. And what I'm realizing is we're helping them not have fun. We need to stop robbing the world of joy. You know in your own life who you're doing it to. We should be authors of joy. We should be bringers of joy. When we walk into a room, people should say, hey, Josh is here. It's going to be a good time. Instead of, oh no, Josh is here. Let me go find somewhere else to be. I think communion is one of the greatest resets for me every week. And that is because I get filled with joy again because I get to once again commune not only with God but with the rest of you. And I get reminded every week that you know what? God really loves me. God really loves you. And it's a joyful reset. It helps me to step out into the world next week on Monday, tomorrow morning, and hopefully tomorrow I'll be a little more joyful. Hopefully tomorrow the people I come in contact with, the ones that are most important to me, my wife, my kids, my mother-in-law will see somebody who is at peace and filled with joy. Because that's who I want. This morning as you come to the table, there's streets spread throughout, there's gluten-free bread everywhere. Take a moment and be thankful. Take a moment and let God fill you with joy and then share that with somebody else. Be positive. Be peace. Be joy. Pray with me.
God, for today, I'm thankful. I'm thankful I got to wake up today. Not another chance at life. I pray that as I gather around the table with my brothers and sisters in here, that we, we be renewed with the reality that you love us and that that should fill us with joy and peace. And hopefully everybody in here will take it to their homes, will take it to the world, will take it to their jobs, that the world will be filled because of you. Thank you so much. We love you. Help us love you more. And give us grace to go. In Jesus' name, amen. That's it for this time. Thank you for checking in with us, and we'll be back with another episode next week.